This morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts, Acts chapter 8, as we continue our sermon series through the book of Acts, considering the nature of the witness that is born there, a witness that is born by the Holy Spirit about Christ, and a witness that is born by His church as they go as witnesses into the nations, bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 26 through 40 this morning. As you're turning there, the passage this morning is fundamentally about the further advance of the gospel into the world. This is a theme that has been gaining momentum in recent weeks as the gospel that began and was executed in Jerusalem has moved into the Judean countryside and then into Samaria. And as we see this morning, it's being preached in the region of Samaria, but it's moving to the ends of the earth. Now, back in chapter 6, we met a man named Philip, a man that we're going to read about this morning in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 and following. And in chapter 6, when we met Philip, he was appointed alongside another man named Stephen and five others to care for the food distribution among the widows. Do you remember the seven who were chosen to care for that work? We saw Stephen, one of those seven, back in chapter 6 and 7, powerfully proclaiming the gospel in the face of threats and then in the face of his own death. He was stoned. He was killed even as he was preaching the gospel. And then in chapter 8, we saw Philip. We saw Philip flee to Samaria after the persecution of Saul broke out in Jerusalem. And Philip preaches the gospel, and many come to believe. And there is much joy in the city of Samaria as they believe on the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. So now what we have in our passage this morning is we see Philip preaching the gospel to a man who is much further off than Samaria. This man is from Ethiopia. And so let's consider Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, through the end of the chapter there, where we see the gospel going out to the nations. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Please follow along with me there. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading. And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that was, he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that we can come to understand it by your spirit. Lord, that you have given each one of us guides for understanding. And Lord, that by your word, we can know Jesus. We can come to understand the gospel. We can see that you are the Christ. Lord, I pray that you would open each one of our eyes, that you would leverage our hearts to pay attention, that we would ask questions, and that your spirit and your word would give us the answers that we seek. Lord, that we would be changed and sent. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, this morning's passage is, is framed really quite nicely for us. There are four questions that we see during the course of the passage. We have an initial question that's asked by Philip, right? And then we have three follow-up questions that are asked by the Ethiopian man. If you look at the passage, you see verse 30, we see Philip ask the question, do you understand, right? Then in verse 31, we see the Ethiopian ask, how can I understand? Verse 34, he continues asking, about whom is this passage that he reads? And in verse 36, what prevents me from being baptized? And we're going to look at each one of those questions very briefly. But first, I want to make note of this. In the first verses of our passage this morning, there is a character that is seen there. There's a character that appears and, and really he's directing the whole of the events that takes place, right? We see that this character is one who sends an angel of the Lord. We see this character is the spirit who directs Philip to the chariot. It just so happens that it is the same Holy Spirit who has sent and equipped his church and who has inspired the whole of the scriptures for the prophet of those who would hear it. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the evangelist in this passage. I just think that's so important. Do you realize, church, that there is a first evangelist? Now, Philip becomes known as Philip the evangelist, and that's for good reason. He is an evangelist, but he's not the first evangelist. Stephen bore great witness, and he is an evangelist, but he is not the first evangelists. The Lord God is the great proclaimer of the gospel. Otherwise, how would we know it? And the Spirit is the one who is the evangelist again in this passage and throughout the whole of Acts who bears witness to the glory of Christ and the gospel that he accomplished. The Holy Spirit arranges the whole encounter. The Holy Spirit is active throughout the book of Acts, and to this day, the Holy Spirit is active in the church, and He's bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, that ought to give us confidence, confidence about a number of things. 
It must give us confidence as we participate together in mission to realize that we aren't the first evangelist. We are not the power by which the witness is made. I hope that gives us confidence as we point our community to Jesus Christ, that there is a Holy Spirit, God Himself, at work in our communities to point our communities to Him. All that our mission is, is to join Him. Dare I say, draft behind Him and where He is going into our communities. The Holy Spirit is the evangelist. Now, let's look at the four questions together. The first question, look at verse 30 with me. Let's read it again. So Philip, directed by the Spirit, right, to to go over and speak with the man in the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now there's a good question. Philip comes over to the chariot, right? And he hears the man reading from the prophet. We find out that the prophet is Isaiah the prophet. And as he hears him reading, he asks him a simple question. Do you understand what you are reading? I love how non-threatening that question is. It's just a simple question of uh, really relational question, easy to uh, approach, invites conversation. I think that part of the purpose of this text is to illustrate yet another of the variety of ways that God sees fit to use and ways that he uses his his disciples in his mission of evangelism. Consider what we've already seen in the first eight chapters of Acts. It could be divine appointment, like what we've seen in our passage today. It could be a sermon to a crowd that God uses in evangelism. It could be suffering well. It could be preaching in the midst of good deeds, as we saw in Philip. At the beginning of our chapter, there's a numerous approaches that the Lord uses His disciples in to make known the good news. And this gives us yet another example. Personally, I have to tell you, this is my favorite method to engage in evangelism. Sure, it is a divine appointment, yeah. I'm not saying divine appointment is my favorite method, like I just sort of sit around and wait till the Spirit tells me to do something, then I do it, you know. I think that what is also taking place here is it's Philip's particular attention to the Bible that serves as a centerpiece of his sharing the gospel. I'll say it again. He said, it's my favorite method for evangelism. It's Philip's particular attention to the Bible. The verses that are found there that serves as the centerpiece for his sharing of the gospel with this Ethiopian man. It's simply one-to-one Bible reading. We're going to put up a slide in just a minute. One-to-one Bible reading is simply two people paying attention to the Bible together. Isn't that what we have here? How simple of a method. There's, There's no Bible track. There's no set of verses that need to be memorized ahead of time. There's simply an open book and the people who are paying attention. And more than that, it's the people asking questions, not people who having having answers quite yet, simply asking a question. Do you understand? It's taking time to pay attention to the words that are there, and then to follow up with questions and reflection and further reading. I think one of the things that's most missing 
in our use of the Bible today is this, paying attention to the words that are there. Like, well, I read the Bible. I read it. I actually have a regular reading plan that I go about. Ah, I can't tell you how glad I am to hear that. But do you pay attention to the words that are there? Like, do, do you sometimes slow down enough to notice that there were actually four questions in this passage? You see, I'm not some great preacher because I, I notice that there's four questions to pay attention to. I'm not some great orator that I have four points in my outline. There, there are four questions that are asked. All that we have to do is slow down long enough to notice a few of the words that are there, and then we begin to ask questions. I have to tell you, there are many questions that I have of this passage. I've written them down that I don't have answers to. I don't have to have answers to them quite yet. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep on reading. But every once in a while, I'm going to slow down long enough to notice the questions. I would encourage you with that. It's, it's really this method of evangelism is as simple as paying attention to the words of the Bible. It really is easy. It's as easy as taking an open book test. You get to share the gospel with all the answers to all of the questions right there in front of you. And you don't even have to pretend like you have all of the answers. You just have to be patient to read long enough for the Bible itself to give the answers. There are still many elements in our culture that are at least familiar with portions of the Bible. I think that's one of the reasons why this method of evangelism, this approach to disciple-making, is actually quite effective still in our culture. There are people who are familiar with the Bible and yet have very little understanding. I mean, try it. Find someone that you know has read the Bible before. Maybe they grew up going to church. Maybe they went to Sunday school and they remember some of the stories. Just try Philip's question. Do you understand what those Bible stories were all about the whole time? Do you understand what you have been reading? I think what you're going to find is you're going to find that there's a great deal of anxiety that comes when people talk about the Bible because there's very little familiarity with its contents. And so if you approach it with no anxiety, just a willingness to pay attention to the words that are there, you may find others who would be willing to pay attention with you. What a simple question to ask. Do you understand the Bible? I would encourage you on this. Don't expect that the answer would be no. Perhaps the person thinks that they do understand the Bible, whether they really do or not. And that's okay. Because what it does is it leaves you with the opportunity to ask the person if they would be willing to read it with you and come to understand the Bible on its own terms. I think another thing that is is peculiar about the culture that we live in, it's a culture that has been greatly, greatly influenced by the Bible. Much of our concept of ethics comes from a history that paid attention to the Word in some way way or another. And so people believe that they have an understanding of the Bible just because they've grown up in a culture that was influenced by the Bible. And now we live in a time where much of that ethic is being rejected, so people still think that they understand what the Bible is all about. They're just rejecting 
the ethic that it teaches. But when you open up the Bible, you discover that it's far more than a simple ethic. It's not about simply ideas. It's about a person. A person that the Ethiopian eunuch is going to find here as well. And as you open up the Word with someone who may or may not have an understanding of the Scripture, you can come to know with them Jesus. Philip engages the Ethiopian as they consider the Bible together. This is so beautiful. This is the Holy Spirit's playground. This is his backyard. This is the Holy Spirit's sandbox when you're playing in the words of the word. When you sit down with the word at the table with someone, you're sitting down where the spirit works. Those are his words, his inspired words to be effective in the lives of the people that we engage with and in our lives. When we open the Bible, we're on home turf. It's home field advantage. And so I would encourage you to ask seriously this question. Whom might you read the Bible with? Pause for a moment. With whom might you read the Bible? There's lots of options there, aren't there? Perhaps a few people come to mind. Perhaps a few people in a few different kinds of relationships. I can encourage you to consider those and then engage in the answer. I would encourage you to consider reading David Helm's book, One-to-One Bible Reading. You can join Philip in asking the question, do you understand what you are reading? This is a, a great book. It's a short book, and it simply gives some ways to ask questions of the Bible. Probably my favorite uh, way is, is simply looking at it and saying, what's something you notice? What's a light bulb that turns on when you read it? What's a question that you have of the passage? So you just put a question mark there in the margin. And then an arrow. What is an arrow? What is an application? What does it seem to indicate that the person ought to understand or do out of the passage? Simply a light bulb, a question mark, and an arrow. Such simple set of questions to ask yourself and to ask with someone else as you read the Bible together. We highly commend that book to you. The first question of Philip, very simply, do you understand what you were reading? Now, I love the honesty of the Ethiopian's answer. Look at verse 31 with me. And he said, how can I? How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. How can I? Now listen, the Holy Spirit is the evangelist, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who is on the mission to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is God. He can do anything, any way he pleases. In fact, in John 16, 13, I think this is important to remember as we see the Lord using a disciple to make known the truth. In John 16, 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Do you hear that? Who is the guide? The Spirit is the guide. The Spirit takes up the responsibility of making the truth of God known. That's His work. And we do see the Spirit in charge of everything that happens in this passage. He is the one who is working in this episode of Scripture. 
But note the means that the Holy Spirit uses. The Holy Spirit, who is in charge of evangelism, the Spirit uses Philip, a disciple of Jesus, a man of faith. The Spirit sees fit to use people of His church to be the means of making the truth of God known. This is the Spirit's method of evangelism, to use His church, to equip His church, and to send His church into the mission field. Make no mistake, it's still the Spirit who does the work, but the means and the instrument is the people of His church. To answer the Ethiopian's question, how can I understand, is this Holy Spirit has sent His church to be a guide to the nations to know. That's how Mr. Ethiopian, sir, you could know him. That the church would be sent by the Spirit to serve as a guide. There are two things that this means. This means, first of all, that the Ethiopian is wise. He's wise to ask Philip how he could understand unless somebody guides him. I love the honesty of the Ethiopian's question. It reminds me of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Listen to the chain of logic in this passage. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you work backwards through it, You see that the Holy Spirit sends, the church preaches, the nations hear, and out from among the nations, the redeemed people believe. It all begins with the sending of the Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit's equipping, and by the Spirit's sending, and by the Spirit's inspired word, people will believe. Secondly, it's a great relief, isn't it? It's a great relief to know that the disciple of the gospel and the gospel proclaimer is not finally responsible for making a person understand. It's the responsibility of the disciple to make the word known, to to read the word, to explain what is understood. And it's the responsibility of the disciple to act as a guide. But understanding only comes as the Holy Spirit awakens a heart to believe. There are still people around the world asking the question, how can I understand? I know it because they've asked me the question, how can I understand? And friends, I'll tell you, the way that they have come to answer the question is because of the presence of the Word. As we go, we go as a people who are speaking the word, who are opening the word, who are inviting people to engage with the word with us. And as they do, I've heard them ask, how can I understand? I hope this question quickens your heartbeat. I hope it compels a vision in you, you who know Christ, to make him known. You know, when I returned from Mongolia the first time, I came home with this primary conclusion. The number one thing that the world needs from Cross Point Coast. Now, I realize there's a great presumptuousness here. Does the world really need anything from Cross Point Coast? Yeah, there is. What the world needs from Cross Point Coast is that we would be disciples. 
that we would know Christ, and you, uh, period, not and make him known, that we would know Christ. And as we know him, and as we pursue him in all the places that we go, and in all the places that the Spirit would send us, we would be prepared to answer the question, how can I know unless someone guides me? Friends, what the world needs from you is that you would know Christ. Pursue him. Read of him. Pray to him. Cry out to him daily. It's from this position that we will be ready to answer the question, do you ask the question, do you understand, and answer the question, how can I? So this morning, I want to call you to read and know the word, to seek understanding for the sake of your soul. Your soul needs Christ before the mission needs your soul to know Christ. For the sake of your soul. And I call you this morning to seek understanding for the sake of your ability to serve as a guide for others. You know, there's something that happens when it's done in that order. There's a humility that comes. There's a humility that comes in the gospel preacher who has sought the word for the sake of his own soul. Because he, he's one who is desperate. He's one who is hungry. He's one who is thirsty for the word. Not someone who just has everything that he needs and goes out with all the extra. It's someone who is desperate for Christ and knows the desperation of those who don't even know that they're hungry. And this morning, I would invite you to this, not only to seek the Word, not only to know the Word in order to answer the question, how may I understand and to serve as a guide, I would encourage you to this. And this, this one, it requires humility, I realize. But humility is required for all of us to approach the Word. Don't hesitate this morning to raise your hand and say, I need a guide. That's me. I'm actually the Ethiopian in this passage. I'm the person with my hand up saying, how can I understand? I'm reading. How can I understand? It's a pastor's great joy to know that there are many people in this congregation that can serve as guides. I know you. You can serve as guides. But it's also the joy of this pastor to know that there are many in this congregation that could use a guide. I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. I hope that I can serve as a guide for you on Sunday mornings. But you need a guide throughout the course of the week. Someone here that you could tap on the shoulder and say, would you read with me? I didn't ask you, do you have all of the right questions? But would you pay attention to the word with me? Let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves enough to find one another and to serve one another together as we read the Word. And here's what's going to happen. As we do that, we are going to discover as we practice disciple-making within the scope of our congregation, we'll learn how to do that in our communities and around the world. Now there's another question that's asked in verse 34 after the reading of this prophecy. We see the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Here the Ethiopian isn't just asking an abstract question about his need for a guide. He's asking a specific question about the scripture itself. About whom does this passage talk? Now, let us first commend the Ethiopian. 
He's asking questions of the Bible. That's one of the best things you could possibly do with the Word. It's such an important step for understanding. We have to be willing to admit our ignorance and say, I have a question here, and I need a guide to help me in understanding. Perhaps it's best to say that when we read the Bible, what we have to be, first of all, is curious. We have to be curious. We have to approach the Bible as a people who believe that the truth of God can be known and that by grace we can come to understand it if we would only admit that we don't yet understand. More than just asking generic questions, the Ethiopian asks a specific who question. Look at it again. Verse 34. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About whom? It's a who question. This is the most important question that can be asked of any of the Scriptures. At the end of the day, the who question will always eventually lead to Jesus. It's Jesus to whom the whole of the Scriptures point. It is the best question to ask of all of the Scriptures. What does this passage have to do with Jesus? How does this passage move us further on in our understanding of Christ and His gospel? Especially when we look at the Old Testament prophets. I know, reading the Scripture myself and reading it with others, that the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah particularly, right, are some of the most confusing passages in the Bible. But if we would ask the question, what does this prophecy have to do with Jesus? We're going to discover the answer to the who question. As we make sense of these things that were previously a mystery to us, what we are going to find is we are so very often going to find Christ. The passage the Ethiopian is reading is from Isaiah 53, 7-8. It's probably in your footnotes in your Bible. If not, put it in a margin there. Isaiah 53, 7-8. In it, he's speaking of the trial and execution of Jesus. You can see that. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, Right? And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Specifically, it's speaking of the prophecies that Jesus was silent before his accusers. You see, Jesus knew two things. Jesus knew that justice was not the aim of his accusers. Justice was not the aim of the court. It wasn't to find the truth of the matter. It was the truth... If it was the truth that they were seeking, they wouldn't have on trial and falsely accused the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. It's not truth that they're looking for. They're seeking to kill Jesus. And secondly, Jesus knew that the path of suffering and death that lay before him is the purpose for which he came and the only means by which he would bring salvation to a people that the Father had given him. Jesus knew this, and so he remained silent in the face of his accusers. In verse 33, it says, In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? Friends, we have a Savior who can sympathize with our trials. He can sympathize with a lack of justice in the world. Justice was denied him. This is important for many reasons. There is a central theological doctrine, central teaching about God in Christ that is true from this passage. It's true that if justice was denied him, 
that Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus is innocent. Jesus must be innocent. He must be sinless if there is to be a righteous substitute for sinners. Justice was denied him because he was the only one who was righteous in their midst. That is such an important reality for us to understand about the gospel. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one. We were made by God and yet have rejected God as our King and Creator. As Mark read from Romans 1, we have failed to give thanks to Him. How many, I wonder, utterings of I'm thankful for were said in the past week that weren't followed by I'm thankful to God in Christ for. We have failed to give thanks to Him. That means that we are sinners and rebels against His holy name and His gracious gift. This is who we are as a people, every one. And God is right, and He's just to condemn sinners like you and I to death. Yet Jesus, who is God the Son, took on flesh, was born and lived and grew, and yet never sinned. Always in obedience to the Father, always in praise of His name, giving honor to the Father that is in heaven. This is key to the gospel and key to understanding the Ethiopian's question. Jesus was without sin. He was innocent. And yet he was condemned to die. Do you see why that would offer up a question for the man who's reading it? Jesus is innocent. And yet he's condemned to die. Well, what is it that Philip explained to the Ethiopian? Philip explained the gospel. That's what he explained. That Jesus, the innocent God-man, died in the place of sinners. Not for anything that he had done. He was innocent. He died in the place of sinners. That all who place their faith in him may be forgiven of their sin and reconciled to God. That is the gospel that the Ethiopian heard because that's the gospel that's been preached since the beginning of Acts. Since the Holy Spirit first sent out His first disciples into the streets, that's what they have been bearing witness to. Look at verse 35 with me. Then Philip opened his mouth. I love that. Look at verse 32. At the end of verse 32, it says of Jesus, He opens not His mouth. Why didn't he open his, up, in his, up his mouth? Because he didn't open his mouth to defend himself against false accusers. And we see from Stephen and Philip and many others that they don't open up their mouths to defend themselves, but they do open up their mouth to bear witness to the glory of Christ and His gospel. He opens up his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus from Isaiah. Friends, that tells me I need to go back and read Isaiah. Because I didn't get that in the first reading. There's something, some question I have not asked of Isaiah that I ought to go back to. And you know, as we lead up to Christmas, it would be a great time to go back to Isaiah and read it with someone who could serve as a guide and we could help each other ask questions because Isaiah is all about the coming of the Messiah that we celebrate who came. We celebrate at Easter in the Incarnation. Philip explained from the Scriptures because this is what the heart of the Bible teaches. 
It's a very reality that Philip explained to the Ethiopian when he told him the good news about Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the sinless one who came as a substitute for sinners. Friends, if you're a sinner here, like if you fall into that category of someone who has not properly given thanks to the Lord God and has walked in disobedience to him like myself, and like the scriptures say, every single one of us is, that's good news. If you're a sinner, then what Philip has shared with the Ethiopian and by extension with us is good news for the church. This is the preaching of the gospel. I would ask you this question this morning. Do you understand? Do you understand who this passage is talking about? Do you understand the meaning of the death of Jesus Christ? If your answer is anything short of a faith-filled yes, I encourage you to join the Ethiopian in asking questions. Let's ask more questions until the only answer that can be found is, I must place my faith in Him. Be bold. Ask someone to guide you. Open the Bible that the Holy Spirit would give you understanding and faith and do it with someone else as a guide. The last question that we see in the passage is found in verse 36. Look at it with me. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me? Now, the rhetorical nature of the Ethiopian's question is beautiful evidence of his faith. This is the question of a man who has believed in the name of Jesus. I want you to notice this. The Ethiopian takes the initiative in wanting to take next steps regarding his discipleship. I think this is important for the church to hear this morning. There are many here who have believed. You know Christ and you know your position outside of Him and you have trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sin. But the Ethiopian takes the initiative to ask questions, not only of the Scriptures, not only for his salvation, but for his next steps in discipleship. This is evidence of grace that a person shows a desire to follow after the Lord and pursue his commands. That's evidence of grace that he wants to know, Oh Lord, you who have saved me, what do you desire? I often question a person's faith who seems to be sedentary even consumeristic about their own growth. I I have to question the life, the vibrancy of a person who doesn't seem to know that they have to eat or move to survive. A person thinks that they are alive who just lies there and waits for someone to come along and feed them. The Bible just doesn't seem to have a category for a couch potato Christian. It just doesn't seem to be there. What we see is when people are awakened to the gospel, they say, oh Lord, show me how to walk according to your kingdom. Show me how to participate with your church. Show me how to glorify your name. They have questions. They have a pursuit who have been made alive. And so this morning, I call you to ask the question, what is next for me? What faith-filled obedience does the Lord have before me? Is it that I would confess Jesus publicly? Some of you perhaps have hung out in a Christian home. Or perhaps you didn't hang out in a Christian home, but you've hung out with the church for a little while. And there's just sort of this assumption that somehow now you you belong there. 
but you have not publicly professed that Jesus is the Christ, the only one who could forgive you of your sin. Your hope is in Him. Friends, that is the next step for you, a faith-filled confession of Christ. Perhaps it's that you would be baptized in His name. If that is you, I hope that you'll ask the question, what prevents me from being baptized? Talk to one of the elders. Talk to someone you came with and let us consider what does prevent you. Probably nothing except for simple faith-filled obedience. Perhaps it's that you would partner with the church. Perhaps that you would renew a commitment to participation on Sunday gatherings or renew a commitment to bind together with believers in community groups and elsewhere. Perhaps it's that you would seek someone to serve as a guide for you to understand the Scriptures. I want to pause on that one very briefly. I want you to seriously ask the question, is that you? Is that the next step for you? Do you need to ask someone? Do you need to put your hand up and say, I need a guide? Will someone walk with me? And finally, perhaps it's that you need some, that it, perhaps it's that you need to go and guide someone. Perhaps that, that you need to put your hand up and say, I'm willing if anyone would like to read the scriptures. I've been in them for a while and I've had some good guides. I'll walk with you. Friends, both of those come from a position of humility. Both of those are required for understanding in the church. It's an amazing thing for the Ethiopian to ask, what prevents me? What prevents him from following after Jesus Christ? Now, let's remember, he's an Ethiopian. He is a eunuch. He's returning to a far-off land, And he is a person who is himself deformed such that he could not enter into the temple. He's cut off in many ways from the worship of God. What prevents him from following Jesus? What prevents him from identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection through baptism? What prevents him participating and and identifying with the church? Well, conventional wisdom of the day would say just about everything prevents him. You're an Ethiopian. You're a Gentile. You're a eunuch, and you don't belong. That's what prevents you. And then we have Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, that explains what the disciples came to understand about the work of Christ and what Philip walks in as he baptizes this man. Ephesians 3, 6 says this, this mystery, the mystery of the gospel, That's no longer a mystery anymore because now we know it. It's about to be explained to us. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What prevents you in Christ? Nothing. You belong. You have been grafted into Christ and so grafted into the same body. And so I want to close by asking this question, what prevents you? Do you believe that you are in need of a Savior? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross as your substitute, the only means by which you could be forgiven and reconciled to God? Do you believe that because He rose from the dead, you have eternal life in Him? What what prevents you from belief? And what prevents you from confessing your faith in Jesus? What prevents you from being baptized in His name?
What prevents you from reading the scripture that you would come to understand the gospel more deeply? Perhaps the answer is pride. That's what prevents me. I've been around in the church way too long to admit that I don't understand. Humble yourself and ask for a guide. What prevents you? And what prevents you from sharing the gospel with another? Again, perhaps it's pride. Humble yourself and ask someone if they would like to come to know Jesus according to his own words. Perhaps it's pride in you that says, but I won't know all the answers. No, you won't. But you have access to the word and the spirit is the evangelist. What prevents us, church, from knowing Christ, confessing him, following him in obedience and coming to know him more together as a people And then, as we grow in these things, the Spirit will give us opportunity and send us even to the nations with word of His gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your gospel. We thank You that we have access to the word this morning. There's four Bibles on every row. We have access to the word. The scroll that this man had was was invaluable, handwritten and copied. He probably only had access to Isaiah. He couldn't just flip and cross-reference. An amazing thing that we have such easy access to your word. And yet, Lord, it just adds to our foolishness that it's so often neglected. Lord, I pray that you would destroy pride in us. The pride that would prevent someone here from admitting that they have not previously believed. But today you have quickened their heart to believe. Lord, I pray that you would cast down that pride. They would be forgiven of sin and be brought into your church and that pride would not prevent baptism, the public display not of their glory but of yours. The pride would not prevent us from seeking you. Lord, I know that many in this congregation have grown very quickly as someone poured into them the word. And that season was a while ago. And they've grown a little bit dry of late. Lord, I pray that you would humble them to ask someone to walk with them. And Lord, I pray that you would humble us. Whatever, whatever we have to put down, whether it be our pride of being afraid that we don't have all the answers or, or some comfort or time that it would take to invest in another life, I pray that you would help us to put that down, that we would serve as guides for one another And as you prepare us for our community and the nations, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Philip. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit still at work in your church today. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.